see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got yeah, I got. Yeah, I got. Yeah, friggin' guy. I've never seen you in a mu- in that muscle T-shirt type thing before. <laughs> you were so lucky. I put it on. Honestly, thirty seconds ago, I was sitting here bare chested, and I'm like, whatever. Scott can handle it. It's basically you don't even see nipple. It's like shoulders up, right? So Scott's not going to see nipples. And I looked at myself in the camera one more time and I just thought, you know what? I'm not going to subject you to this, <laughs> but you're going to wow. have to, you're going to have to look at some muscle though. Wow. Yeah. Did, okay. Did you know we're doing a gun show today, Scott. <laughs> no. Wow. Well, anyway, this is spit. This is the surf talk show or we spit. We basically throw ideas at each other and try to come up with something that, that you can listen to that will make sense to your ears and to your brain. My name's Scott Bass, and David Lee Scales sitting across from me via, uh, well, I'll just say it's via Skype, Squadcast. And um, good morning, David. Good morning, Scott. I mean, the reason why I'm wearing this showing off uh, the gun show is because it's freaking 85 degrees at 10 a.m. in the morning. We're in the midst of a heat wave here. How hot is it down there? Yeah, it's warm here. I think it's I think it's warmer where you are, but it's yeah. supposed to get to 90 degrees on the beach today. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have a super hot week. Um, but yesterday, as a result, we had Santa Ana wind conditions up here. I don't know if you saw any footage from Orange County area, but it was all time for a few hours yesterday. Um, I fully botched it because I have work obligations. But as I got in my car to go to work, I, I could see the wind doing its thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I should probably just stay home, go surf, stay home. And then I thought, no, I got to get into the office. So I went to the office and immediately regretted my decision, pulled up the phone from the office and saw what was happening in Newport Beach. And it was like, I blew it so hard. It was all time. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that. I got some oh. really good waves yesterday. What about today? Today, not so good. A little bit, I don't know, not as good. Yesterday was way meatier and better. Yeah, I tried. I surfed this morning too, and um, it was still like three to five feet, like head high, kind of, you know, punchy beach break barrels, but tide was drained out and didn't have the benefit of the wind on it, the offshore wind. It's just not nearly as good, kind of walled and all that sort of stuff. Um, But... I noticed you've been riding the sea drives. Yeah. So the, the guys from naked Viking, is it surf fins or surf mm-hmm. naked Viking surf? Yeah. Yeah. And naked Viking Jamin and his buddy, I forget his buddy's name. Leif. Leif. Right. So Jamin sent me some fins and I've been riding them and I love them and they're in my board and it looks like they're going to stay in my board. Um, I don't see any reason to take them out. They feel great. There's no downside to them. Um, and they might have a little bit more hold than the straight up and down standard twin fins that I had put in there. So I'd been riding the C-Drive thrusters. You got the the twins as the replacement for that mid-length that you got from Seiko or Arise? 
Yeah, exactly. Ryan Sakel surfboards. He's Got kind it. of he's moving away from the Arise brand and he's just sticking with his namesake. Cool. Yeah. That makes sense. Arise yeah. was Arise uh, was spelled in a way that you weren't sure how to pronounce the word. If you've heard that it's called Arise, then it made perfect sense. But I think it was like A R Y S E or something like that. So when you just read it, it does take a little while to get used to. But Seiko obviously is a legacy brand that he can uh, trade on for sure. Yeah, I think it just makes sense to, in this day and age with Instagram and just having your name. Like you're you're your brand. You are your brand. Like David Lee yeah. Scales is the brand, and it's it's. In this day and age, it makes sense to just stick with the brand and not make it confusing. So Ryan's changing it back to Ryan Sakel Surfboards. Now, the cool. only thing is, is that, as you know, his dad has a shop in Huntington. So there might be some confusion there because his dad shapes too. But regardless, Ryan's making a name for himself down here. Yeah. Um, so I've got some more feedback. First of all, a lot has transpired since our last show. Um for our world at large, well beyond the surf world. But just to follow up on a couple of things from last week's show, we were having a conversation about who would be the best electric acid surfboard tester. I got a bunch of feedback from listeners. I'm going to throw them out and then you chime in. Uh, Michael February, Craig Anderson, John John Florence. What about Kelly Slater? All of those are great. I think all of those are really, really good, don't you? I do. I honestly, I'm fine with all of those. I would, I'd be fine with all of those. It's funny. I never considered guys. I was always thinking fringe guys. I was thinking non-competitive surfers because Kelly's too big time and they've got world tour obligations. Guys like John, John have world title, you know, uh, concerns, but right now nobody's competing. So it actually opens it up completely. Somebody like Kelly would actually be the best because He's so articulate and he knows so much about surfboard design, which is actually more important in the surfboard test than the actual talent level. Yeah, I totally agree with you. To me, when you're determining who this character will be, the first and foremost, obviously the guy's going to be able to surf. But the, so the second thing is they have to articulate what they are feeling and how they're going about it. Yeah. And um, I think that's super important. Obviously, Kelly is one of, if not the most articulate surfers out there. I think of Craig Anderson. I would like to see ride a lot of those boards, but I don't know how well he's going to communicate about them. Michael February, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know that, I mean, maybe he surfs great and I guess he does ride a range of boards. I think of him riding non-conventional uh, short boards mostly, but he certainly was on tour riding a thruster when he was on tour. So I suppose he could do it. I think John John Florence would be really interesting because we've only ever seen him on Pizels. Yeah, I he's down a notch regarding the articulation of what's going on. I, I I'm not saying he's not articulate, but um, who was the other guy? Yeah, oh yeah, Craig, Craig Anderson. Craig Ando. Yeah, so Kelly makes the most sense actually. The only be- thing is, is Kelly's kind of the, you know. Kelly's going to try to surf it the way he surfs, I think. And that's, you know, like kind of falling into the Dane Reynolds thing. I, yeah, to a degree, but less than Dane Reynolds. I mean, cause we've seen Kelly ride, I guess we've seen Kelly ride a range of boards, but they're all still high performance boards. 
I think Birch is the best one because Birch is pretty damn articulate and he shapes. Yeah. And he's, yeah, I think Birch is the best one. Yeah. Like you should well, see him right now. Birch is writing. I haven't seen him, but my son was down at Seaside the other day and he said that Birch was writing some like 11 foot finless board that has a handle on it, like on the deck or something. And it might even be a foamy. I'm not quite sure. Or it might be a piece of foam. I don't even know. But point is, he's totally outside the box. That's amazing. Um, well, I'm sure that you have things <laughs> on your list that we need to get to. Actually, one thing I'll get to real quick, uh, Neat Essentials. I was looking for a wetsuit last night on their site and they've got huge discounts going on right now. Um, there's like a last chance section on their site and suits are already underpriced from them. But um, with this last chance thing, they're even lower than they normally are. So get on that. If anybody wants a wetsuit, neatessentials.com. They've been supporting us since the beginning uh, or not since the beginning, but certainly for a couple of years and seeing the, suits discounted like there's a three two full uh full suit for 136 bucks you know yeah so crazy cool. smoke smoking deals even if you don't need the three two going into summer or a four three for 156 bucks get it and hold on to it till next year so. well speaking of wetsuits you might recall a couple of weeks ago i was complaining about booties on our show here and you had mentioned and i have a pair of those soul lights but anyway i got inundated with Hey man, you got to get these Solite heat molded booties. They're the best. And I mean, you know, I probably got 30 different people going, just sending me the link, you know? And as I told you, I have had those before and it wasn't the, the booty that I had a problem with. It was the Velcro that failed me. And once the Velcro failed me, the thing filled up with water and it was useless. Mm -hmm. But I bit the bullet because Solite had some special. There's so many specials going on right now during this COVID thing. Everybody's basically like, hey, man, I'll sell two for cheap. So anyway, I bought some Solite booties and uh, more will be revealed. You know, um, it'll be my second pair. I got, actually got a pair that doesn't even have Velcro on it. I got the two millimeter ones. So we'll see how that goes. Um, it's funny. I got a bunch of flack on that episode because it was May and I was wearing booties Dude, yeah. the, water's, the water's 58 here right now. Is it still chilly there? I mean, it's gotten warm. There's been days that were like mid-60s, I'd say, but it's 58 right now, as of today. Yeah. So it's chilly. We had that same thing a couple, I would say four or five days ago. It was as cold as it gets in the wintertime. Right. It was stinging cold, like exactly. stupid cold. Like it's not worth surfing these crappy waves. It's so cold. Right. Yeah. But it's, so warmed want, up. Want, it's warmed up. I want an apology from everybody who gave me flack about that. No, there's they're not going to, you know, you when you wear a spring suit with booties and a hood, you're going to catch <laughs> That's my go-to look. <laughs> I got an it's email. Not, not even not even from in the water. I wear that into the liquor store afterwards to get my coffee. Perfect. <laughs> That's great that you go to the liquor store for coffee. That's wonderful. Yep. Uh, I got an email it says, Scott, David, referring to the introduction of the June 1st episode, I guess that was last week, I can understand the anger over rioting and looting, and they definitely deserve to be the kook of the week. However, in light of recent events from the murder of George Floyd to Trump's forcibly dispersing of a peaceful protest crowd for a photo opportunity, People need to make a stand. Enough is enough. And there is lots of great examples from the surfing 
committee coming together to protest against racism. I just think that could have been your lead. Cheers, Greg. So Greg having a issue with the way we led the show last week, David. I think the title of the email was Where's the Outrage? Do you feel outraged, Scott? Um, outraged might be a, uh, it's so fascinating. In fact, we should just segue into this next story because, you know, like the right thing for me to say is, yeah, man, I feel outraged. You know, like then I would cover my ass, I'd cover my bases and, you know, and I'd be politically correct. But frankly, I'm, first of all, let me just say I'm disgusted by it all. Of course, it's disgusting that some man had his life exterminated at the hands of some other guy that has a badge on and gives him this authority to, or so-called authority to be um, a complete jerk. Um, all of this stuff outrages me, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's wrong. It's, it, but uh, I don't think I have the level of outrage that I think people of color have. Right. Well, your experience in America is very different than a black citizen's experience in America, period, right? Well, it is. So let me segue into this because um, Todd Pradonovich, the editor of Surfer Magazine, wrote something. I don't know. Did you read this? I know. I'm curious to hear what his stance is or what he had to well, say as I'm a representative gonna... of Surfer, right? Not just yeah. like privately. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This was this is on the Surfer Magazine site. And I'm basically boiling it down here. So Todd might hear this and go, wait, that's not the way I meant to say it. <laughs> no, I let me just say that I guess the question to you, David, is is the biggest surf story right now is the biggest surf story, Black Lives Matter. Is the biggest surf story Black Lives Matter? Um, yes. This these last two weeks, maybe last month, absolutely that's the biggest story. hundred percent. Okay, so Todd Pradonovich, Pradonovich, son of great shaper Robin Pradonovich, suggests, as you do, that it is the greatest story. It's the biggest story. The biggest surf story right now is Black Lives Matter. And Todd points to thousands of surfers paddling out in support of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter across the globe, by the way. And he says that um, this tragedy touches us all in some way, and that includes surfers. This is a unique moment in surfing because more surfers have now likely paddled out for this cause than perhaps any other cause in the history of the paddle out ritual. Most of the time, surfers don't behave as a collective. Many surfers still like to think that there's something counterculture and anti-establishment about surfing. There isn't, or at least there hasn't been for a long time. It's been heartening to see surfers doing what is unfamiliar and uncomfortable, confronting their privilege as mostly white coastal residents who haven't suffered at the hands of a racist system, pledging to listen to black voices and educate themselves on systemic racism, donating to and fundraising for organizations for racial justice, and even taking to the streets to participate in the protests around the country. Todd Pradonovich's hope is that the widespread paddle outs in support of Black Lives Matter are not just performative, not just for clout and likes on Instagram. Perhaps paddle outs can be a kind of gateway 
and more surfers can take whatever quote rebellion of spirit end quote we've claimed in the past and channel it into a true anti-establishment movement. What's your take on Todd's thoughts? Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with him. And the reason why I was at or hesitant to answer your question previously was because the Black Lives Matter thing has been almost the only thing on my mind for the last couple of weeks because it's so uh, intertwined throughout all of our life. I mean, this is a human rights issue. And so I've almost not even thought about surfing for the last couple of weeks. You know, very, very little surf <clears throat> kind of interest for me out in the world. But that's why it is a surfing move. Uh, it is a surfing story is because it's so infused into your life that how could it not infect surfing? And so there's kind of, I don't know, super, not superficial, but um, top uh, level top level stuff that's happening in the surf world that we can tie it to, like surfboards being stolen through looting. So there becomes a surf story that you and I can discuss as news. But much more directly beyond that is we're all surfers and this is all a huge part of our lives. This is the most kind of thing that's in the front of our mind on a day-to-day -day basis and certainly um, affects how we think about the lineup or how we think about, I, like, I'm apprehensive to use the word white privilege. It had kind of a negative connotation for a long time or like maybe a connotation of guilt associated with it. I don't have white guilt. You know, I don't have guilt about the way that I was raised or the privilege that I was raised with. But I recognize white privilege now through the last few weeks without that negative connotation and just kind of an understanding that I don't have a fear of the police in the way that a black citizen has a fear of the police. And in that there's kind of this systemic uh, system set up that polices certain people and protects other people. And I've kind of lived my life as part of the protected group of people in this country. And so I recognize that that is a certain privilege and that gives me a freedom to go go wherever I want with impunity and to be able to go for whatever job interview I want with a certain level of confidence and, you know, whatever. So I yeah. recognize kind of that level of white privilege. Um, I think of white, the term white privilege in a way that I didn't think of before. So me going through all of those things and those things infuse my worldview and the way that I view surfing and the way that I view just everything. So that's why it is a surf story. And I think that we're all kind of going through that. So yeah, it's the biggest surf story. And I agree with everything that Todd said. Um, additionally, sorry if I'm rambling and kind of jumping on a lot of different points, but another thing that Todd said was, I hope that this isn't just performative. I definitely don't, don't think it's performative. I mean, I don't know anybody who is, other than maybe posting a black square on Instagram for likes, I don't know of anything, anybody going out to one of these protests from a performative stand, stance. I think that largely everybody is uh, kind of dismayed with the way that the system runs right now and is using this as an opportunity to upset the system or to try to enact change in the system. Um, so I think that even people, even white people who have were raised with a certain level of privilege still have a lot of grievances for how the system is running because they're paying more in taxes than the billionaire class is paying in taxes. And so they see this as a real opportunity to um, 
make some change. And they're and they're completely sympathetic with the black plight. You know what I mean? Even though the privileged white can't empathize with it and hasn't lived the life of a black citizen, they are raised compassionately and they can be sympathetic towards the plight. So they're recognizing that this is a real opportunity to um, to change the system from kind of a fundamental level. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was uh, well thought out for me putting you on the spot. It seemed like you have a thought, you have thought about this. My thoughts on, on my mind. Yeah. My thoughts are, uh, you're right. This is really well-written piece, which is why I brought it to our show. I think Todd did a great job and I too agree with everything he's saying. Um, one of the things that I wrote down yesterday when I was reading this article is I feel like surfing, the actual act of going surfing is my time away from all of this stuff. You know, it's, it's my time. It's my selfish time to go just rinse all of this stuff off and not think about it. Now, the irony is, is that when I go and do that, I have this, it allows me time to think about it. And that's what I've been noticing is that I've been, you know, sitting, waiting for set waves and thinking about this stuff. It's just so in our face. And, and it's been a great time to have children because they've been really helpful in sort of um, peeling back some of the layers, you know, about this, <clears throat> looking at it from their standpoint has been great. Let me ask you, I'd like to help parse that a little bit. Um, and don't let me put words in your mouth or correct me if I do. I'm curious what quote stuff surfing is a reprieve from, because again, not to put words in your mouth, but I would think the stuff that you want the break from is maybe some of the ugliness associated with it, the rioting, the looting, the burning of your local community. But what you actually get time to think about is reevaluating your worldview, right? Yeah, exactly. First of all, there's no rioting or looting or burning of my community, you know, which well, is one, right. But that's dude, that's like, you need a visa and a passport to go to there, you know, like from where I live to there's, even though it's 20 minutes, it's, it's, it's night and day, but it is, it's 20 minutes away. It's not a different state. Yeah. But my point is, is that I was trying to kind of convey or, or show some contrast, you know, where I live is pretty privileged, which is what Todd was talking about. Right. Got it. So you're right. Yeah. Look, what are you it, taking? What do you look at the ocean as a taking? What stuff does it give you a break from is what I'm asking. Just, you know, everyday, everyday things, you know, stress of COVID stress of protesting stress of cops that are complete fucking assholes. Um, you know, and so again, the irony is that I go to the ocean to get away from sort of the pressures of life and to, to rinse it all away and to be in sort of a Zen moment where I have to be in the now and I can't be thinking past or present because I'm forced to, to be surfing and to be on my toes. And, and in that process, it, for whatever reason, it gives me time to reflect. Yeah. And one of the things that I thought about this morning was, okay, so let's look at my high school years, right? I'm a, I'm a white 17 year old kid in a senior in high school growing up in, in Del Mar, California. And I'll be honest with you, David, I wasn't a very good student. I barely graduated high school. 
like they kind of like graduated me for me. You know what I mean? They're like, dude, just get the hell out of here. Like yeah. I probably had like a 1.9 GPA. You know what I mean? Like I was off the radar and I was just doing my own thing and it wasn't good. And I'm not proud of that. I'm just, I just want to give you some, something, some context here. So what did I do with that? I graduated high school barely. They basically just kicked me out, you know, and gave me a piece of paper. And, and I go on to just kind of live around the coastal community, get a job in restaurants or in the lifeguards or wherever. And, and I'm, I'm able to just like, you know, pay rent and kind of live this sort of like 20 something coastal surf bum lifestyle. And, and if I was a young black man with a 1.8 GPA, would I be where I am right now? You know, probably like not. I'd well, probably, I, yeah, I agree. Like that's my I, point. I have, like, well, I, that, I guess that's I kind of know. white privilege, like in a weird way, that's like, in a, if you boil it down, it's like, is it because I'm, I'm from an upper middle-class family and I'm, and I live in this coastal area and people are just like, dude, we don't care about your GPA. You look like a good kid. Come on in. You know, like, and you know, how many different chances did I get that I blew? Right. You know? And I right. just, I think if you're a young black man like that, it's like, dude, you got one chance and you blew it. You got a 1.8, you're out. Now you're joining a gang and in three years you're either dead or in prison. You know, whereas I got like, you know, I was on my way to Hawaii and Australia and just all sorts of crazy sh stuff, you know? I mean, so anyway, I, know. I just wanted to, I just wanted to convey that, that I think that's the difference between white and black America is that I, I can have a 1.8 GPA and somehow be a homeowner in Encinitas right now. And a black man that gets a 1.8 GPA, I doubt he's a homeowner in Encinitas. Well, I think that uh, I don't know your family background at all, despite as many hours as we've spent talking about surfing. But I would argue that your um, freedom to do the things that you said in your 20s were probably, you had family support, right? I mean, you had, no? No, no. Oh, I, just, okay. I just had a job. I was kind of, I was kind of uh, more or less. Um, just floating by. Yeah. Not yeah. that like the family wasn't too stoked or too involved. Yeah. It's yeah. Not, that, not that they didn't love me, but my point is I was, I had a job and I paid my rent. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Anyway, that's um, the kind of thing I was thinking about when I was trying to get away yeah. from all this. I was thinking about, you know, what a, what a black kid who had a 1.8 GPA with no family support be in the same circumstance that I'm in. And, I, is it, I, and is it because of the color of my skin and just all of the other stuff that comes with that? I think Del Mar is a pretty privileged, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. All right. I don't know. I, I, don't, know. You. I, have I don't know you. the answer to your question. There's so much more that goes behind it. Like if you have, if your family is intact, if they're willing to buoy you throughout all of that, if you're exposed, I, I mean, like the reality is, I don't know how much you're going to get involved in a life of crime and gangs if you live in Del Mar, period. It doesn't, almost regardless of the color of your skin. You know what I mean? There's a not, a, not a lot of that going on in Del Mar, even for a black kid who was raised there with your same GPA or whatever. Um, but I get the larger point that you're making in that, 
you got a lot of opportunity to make a lot of errors yes. and there was nobody policing you along the way and sending you, I'm sure that you committed crimes along the way and you never found yourself in jail because you always get the benefit of the doubt. You know, I, so I understand that point for sure. It was basically um, one long crime spree. <laughs> just, and again, I'm not proud of it, but I don't wish to, no, shut, I know the, what you mean. to shut the door on it either. Cause I think there's learning opportunities here. I agree. Um, you know what I'm curious about is that email uh, that, you know, was entitled, where's the outrage? How do you feel? First of all, well, how do you feel about listeners chiming in, asking you to cater to their opinion? Because I got a lot of, certainly with COVID and now with this, I get a lot of emails basically saying, I disagree with you and you should talk about this instead of the, what you talked about. I just think we should read the emails and either you know, agree or not agree, opine on them if we wish. But I think it's important to read the emails of different different opinions. Yeah, I agree. Like, I kind of love that about the podcast is that I, you know, growing up, whatever um, media I was listening to, whether it was news or radio, I never once thought about sending a letter into any of it. And if they had a wildly different opinion than me, Sometimes I still listened because it's entertaining. Sometimes I just chose not to listen because I couldn't agree with it. But I kind of love that we're living in an era that the connection with the listenership is that um, organic and connected. And over the years, certainly I've asked listeners to send feedback and I still fully abide by it. Whether or not we implement the feedback is more based on the thoughtfulness of their feedback. Some feedback I get is just so wildly ranty that it's just like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. And I roll my eyes while listen, while reading it. But others is, um, like I said, thoughtful. And even if I disagree with it, it's still thoughtful and it's poignant, you know, and worth, yeah. worth uh, considering for sure. Well, as it relates to um, what we brought up last week, which, which was those surfboards being looted out of the Patagonia store in Santa Monica, Salty Beards is an Instagram account and it's a co-run Instagram account between professional surfer Nick Rosa and his filmer Chris Papaleo, who had quite a run about 10 years ago of popularity with Nick Rosa shredding, kind of looking like the second coming of Dane Reynolds. Um, but, you know, they haven't done so much as, as it relates to pro surfing in the last few years. But anyways, they did tremendous work here with posting footage of those looters of those surfboards and ultimately posted an update. And I'm going to read that update to you. It says, quote, thanks to a lot of you. Yesterday, we found out everyone's identity, even their home addresses that I posted from the looting videos at Patagonia. In the past 24 hours, I've had some sort of contact with them and given them the opportunity to make arrangements and anonymously um, quote, or in parentheses, most are scared that they'll get arrested. So anonymously return the boards and stolen items from last Sunday's looting. If they return the property, I've chosen not to reveal their full names, current jobs, parents' names, addresses, etc. They were all sent to me by hundreds of people. Still pretty baffled. Most of them are from other states that grew up thousands of miles from the city that they helped destroy. Even worse, the others who are identified come from very wealthy families that live in the Pacific Palisades and Beverly Hills. If you're someone who participated in this looting of a store that helps 
our community and actually gives back to the planet, i.e. Patagonia, then you can remain remain anonymous and return the items to judson.herd at patagonia.com. That's the end. So through kind of this grass movement, community movement, um, those looters were identified and adequately shamed and returned the stolen goods. Wow. That's cool. That's kind of amazing, huh? I mean, I guess it's not amazing, but it's so powerful how social media can, can, you know, like everybody's got to beware, you know, like (laughs) I agree. I think, I think it's actually amazing and it shows, um, for potential looters in the future that you cannot just loot at will that even if there are not police presence, there could be a reckoning in the form of social activists coming to collect. And then also, by the way, um, facial recognition identity. I've seen a bunch of stories that the FBI is collecting all of this footage. I mean, we don't have to go far back to, um, are you still listening to Recode Decode? Not too much. Kara Swisher just interviewed a guy who wrote a book about um, the Edward Snowden thing. So you don't have to go far back to look. The NSA was collecting every single phone call conversation of every American, bar none, like at large, and collecting all of that, triangulating all of the information to understand who has relationships with who, what are the conversations that they're having about, blah, 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 under the guise of trying to protect America against terrorism. But we kind of know now that they're just creating a much larger network of information. So you don't think that they're doing it at this level as well. And all of this crime footage, not, pro, not, I'm not talking about anything to do with protest. I'm talking about looting and rioting and destruction of city. They're collecting all of that footage and they're going to have this huge database that they already can identify who these criminals are that they ultimately, I would argue, will come to collect down the road six months from now once you know they have the manpower and the resources to start prosecuting. People are going to start getting hit and summoned with all of this stuff. Yeah. Fined for destroying cities, for stealing property, for destroying small businesses, you know? Are you, that's funny. So are you okay with that? Like, are you okay with the loss of some civil liberties and some, some freedoms? Uh, if in fact it helps to bring justice to some of these business owners and, and so forth and so on. I mean, it's a, it's a much bigger conversation. I think that there, I think that there needs to be regulation for how all of that stuff is done And then, yes, I personally am okay with a certain loss of my own civil liberties. I'm not a criminal. And so when I first heard that NSA story about the phone calls, my first thought was fine with me because I'm not a terrorist. But as we kind of dig deeper into it, we realize that they're actually using the information for a lot of other reasons and even um, selling it. Maybe they're selling it. And that's the thing, capitalizing off of it. So making billions and billions of dollars off of our. So if somebody else is profiting off of all of my information, then no, I'm not okay with that. And I would like for us to try to change the model for how we do those things in the future. I'd be more than okay with paying for my internet time if it was privatized, paying for my email, paying for access to maps if it was all privatized. Uh, It is privatized. I just gave it away for free, not knowing that it was going to be used. You know, so that is a much bigger conversation, but 
your general question of, am I okay with giving away some civil liberties so that we can live in a more civil society and criminals are prosecuted adequately? Yes. Am I convinced criminals are going to be prosecuted adequately? No. You know? Yeah. Am I convinced, am I convinced that, you know, the billionaire kind of elite class will get away with more crime than you and I will? Yes. And you and I will get away with more crime than the black civilian will. Yes, we probably will. So there's all of those inequities that we're going to have to suss out along the way. But yeah. Hey, breaking news. I just got an, I just got an email just came in. This is super important. The subject title is wall street journal validates David's hair care regime. And it says, Gentlemen, I've been an avid and loyal listener since summer 2014 and have been thoroughly entertained throughout the years. Here's an article from the Wall Street Journal that some, in some ways validates Mr. Scales's position on hair care through the perspective of a surfer. I thought you'd both enjoy this and find it amusing. This is a hard-hitting segue from civil <laughs> battles of civil liberty to hair care regime. I look forward to the day when either Scott, David, or Chaz begin reviewing multi-hundred dollar hair and skincare products on the podcast. And he sent along a Wall Street Journal link to this, um, basically a validation of your no wash the hair thing. Look, it doesn't take a genius. It's not, I will not claim to be a genius. I will claim to have common sense. People didn't have access to hair care products for a long time. And um, you're kidding yourself if you think that you need to wash your hair every single day and you are going to give Johnson and Johnson your hard-earned cash for the rest of your life to try to achieve some level of beauty that corporate America is forcing you to live by. Um, I don't wash my hair. I haven't washed my hair in five years. And every single person who's cut my hair in that five years comments on how beautiful it looks and how voluminous, voluminous, and healthy it is. So, Okay, so your mom likes your hair. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, somehow or another, David, I found myself watching a tour of Alana Blanchard and Jack Freestone's home in Kauai. Did you happen to catch this? Hard-hitting WSL Lawn Patrol content. Yes, yes. Did you watch this one? No, I did not. Well, it's sort of charming because – they didn't do any cleanup at all for their house. Like <laughs> it's like they got the word from the WSL and they're like, okay. And they just turned on their phones and they're like, Hey, let's take a tour. And their house is a complete shambles. It's, a, And I totally get it because they, you know, they're a young couple with a young baby. Maybe a better way to put it is it's like well-conditioned, you know, but some people would take this opportunity to go, okay, we got to have the house cleaned and let's like, you know, put the plant here and make sure the cobwebs are off the corners and clean the refrigerator. And they're just like, hey, here's our house. And they like the first thing, like the screen's broken on the front door. Then you walk in and the the living room's just like, you know, it's like it's lived in. You know what I'm saying? Like they got a a two-year-old kid or whatever. Banks is like one and a half or whatever he is. And, you know, so there's like frigging cookie crumbs everywhere and just like a TV that doesn't work and toys over here and little gummy bears over there. And and then they walk into the kitchen and the they're like, we don't even really want you to see the, the kitchen, you know, and they open up the refrigerator. The refrigerator is just a mess. Like Alana then all of a sudden realizes, oh, this is kind of embarrassing. That's <laughs> hilarious. And, and it just, and that's the beauty of it. Like, right. Is that it's not that, that like, they're just like, Hey man, here's our home. 
So it's just so not fixed up that it's absolutely charming. And it just made me fall in love with those two because it's just completely lived in, you know, and, and as a young, as somebody who had young kids, any, any parent's going to get it. You know what I mean? It's great. So totally. that's the one I haven't watched any others. I just happened to click on that. Cause I'm like, I want to see what their house is like. And it was awesome. And only because they were so honest and sincere and just like not giving a shit about it, that it was great. Um, so the WSL is trying to generate a bunch of con. Obviously, they don't have their main bread and butter, which is contests. So they're trying to generate this shoulder content uh, to keep people going to their website while there's no contests. But they can't send out camera crews because of COVID. So they've designed a couple of these things that they can just have people basically film or get a local filmer to go and do. And I think Lawn Patrol, that's why there's kind of a limited um, production value there. It probably was scheduled one day in advance and it's shot on an iPhone and it's Jack and Alana's neighbor or, or family member who is shooting it for them. And then the, sending the footage to the WSL and the WSL's cobbling it together. Um, what I would like to know though is they're legitimate millionaires at this point. Jack was making a million bucks a year off Billabong. Alana has been making good money for a long time through her various endeavors. Um, previously with Rip Curl, she's no longer with them. How's their house? Are they living in a palatial estate? No, it's a small, groovy little Kauai kind of, good. you know, 1,400 square foot, single story, old school Kauai shack. Sweet. With a beautiful view and a massive yard with orange trees and, you know, lush green. You know, it's just gorgeous Kauai, you know. Good. It's really cool. It's a really like cool. It's a really cool scene. It, it it's such a charming episode. And again, I've only seen one because um, well, I've been kind of turned off by those. I'm like, I'm not going to watch Laura Enever, you know, like light candles somewhere and show me her yoga room, or, you know. But for whatever reason, I clicked on this one probably because it was Alana, and I wanted to see what was going on there. And it was um, it was it was killer. So I don't know if you remember, but you and I had a conversation months ago about the ever-changing kind of media landscape and how people activate or like evolve to it and what YouTube's going to look like versus Instagram and Snapchat and all that stuff. And I made the argument that Alana and Jack are going to become royalty uh, because they're pivoting away from catering to what you and I care about to catering what this broader market that Jessica Alba caters to and that Gwyneth Paltrow caters to. But they're doing it via... YouTube as the main thing and then filtering it out through their social media profiles and it's geared towards health and wellness and cooking organic baby food or, you know, not cooking it, but making organic baby food for the kid banks or whatever his name and being real. And so the real thing that you're connecting with right now is the ultimate currency in those platforms and mediums. And I'm telling you, so they did, uh, E the entertainment network actually did a piece on them, a profile piece that was exactly kind of what you're talking about. It referenced WSL's Lawn Patrol, and it was giving E's audience a look at how Jack Freestone and Alana Blanchard are riding the wave during quarantine was the name of the article. And it gives a peek into their life and revealing all these little details. And it was validating kind of the point that I was making two months ago, which is, they're totally going that way. They don't give a crap whether surfers are watching what they're doing. 
they care what 27-year-old moms living in Brooklyn trying to raise kids are doing. And that's who they're catering this content more because that 27-year-old mom wishes that she was on the beach in Hawaii. And she's going to now use a homemade coconut sunscreen instead of the one that she could have bought from Rite Aid. You know, that's what they're going. Well, it was, again, the reason that it was so great is that it was so unproduced. Yeah. And it was so raw. Yeah. You know, it was, and and so that's what was refreshing. I mean, we've all seen a million you know, whatever Kardashians or whatever, where, you know, it's not really reality TV. It's just some producers going, okay, let's put this here and we'll do the, here's the scene. And here's what I want you to say and create conflict this way and blah, blah, blah. Totally. Yeah. So it's really cool. You know, what's funny. Um, even despite everything that you just said, my first thought when I saw that article on E was this was the result of agents and managers. Like I know that there is, I would argue there's not an office intern at E who came across this surfing couple and thought, oh, this works for our website. It was Jack and Alana's agent going, hey, let's do Lawn Patrol. Now that we have Lawn Patrol, let's get this out through whatever media organizations we have some sort of affiliation with or the WSL has an affiliation to boost your profile and awareness. Yeah. And that was shows a very cynical side of me. And well, that's the the reality of what's happening right now. That's just the way it works, you know, and the beautiful thing is, is that if there was some PR firm behind it, that they didn't ruin it by going, okay, make sure that you get your makeup and blah, blah, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, it was right. like, hey, we just woke up. Here we are. Um, you know, totally. it, it was pretty raw. For sure. Well, in other WSL news, uh, did you see the gigantic update that they gave last week? No, I don't think You're, I did. Unless well, I knew. Do you remember months ago, they're like, because of COVID, we're going to have a big up. We're going to not have any news until June 1st. We're going on hold until June 1st. What happened? Tell me. I'm baiting breath here. They're they're remaining on hold until July 1st. (laughs) Okay. I think we might have talked about this. Did we talk about this? No, because they just announced it a couple days ago. But uh, yeah. This dealing with the WSL right now feels it's giving me PTSD from all the events from the last few years with the morning call where there's swell on the horizon. You wake up in the morning at 7 a.m. and you get online and you check and then you wait until 730 and then you wait until eight o'clock and then you wait until 830 and you're like, shoot, should I go surf or should I come back? Like, I'm not sure. This just constant holding pattern is annoying. It is so annoying. Well, look, I mean. Obviously, a lot of this is out of their hands, right? I mean, they've got this global tour and everything's changing. Brazil's like, pandemic's going through the roof. COVID's just the numbers are ridiculous in Brazil. You know, Indo's, Singapore, you can't go through. Like, it's, you know, it doesn't surprise me that they're going to be on hold through July. So July 1st is when their next update is. It's going to be... It's either going to be August 1st or it's going to be, it's over. It's a non, it's going to be another non update. Like I understand, I'm not shaming the WSL. I understand the reason why they do the morning call during surf contests is because we're at the mercy of mother nature. And that's also part of what I love about it. I'm just saying there's no chance we're going to call on events in July. Let's get a game plan in place. Like there's zero chance they call on, you know, 
Europe and pipe and those points accrue towards a world title. The moot, whatever we end up doing for the rest of the year is going to be a, a unique year. And so let's develop th- whatever that game plan is now and announce that game plan. I don't know why we're in holding pattern, pretending like we're going to run in a, an abbreviated world tour at the end of the year. The only thing they can do is a triple crown, really, in my opinion, at this point. But even that's really tough because that includes QS guys. So the triple crown this year needs to be changed. So it's just three CT events, one at Haleiwa, one at Sunset, and one at Pipe. And that's our triple crown winner. There is no world title, world champion this year, but we will have a triple crown winner. You know what I need right now? Desperately? What? Leadership. Right. Need leadership. I, I see so, I see no leadership. Right. And I, like, look, come up with an alternative format that is like you said, even if it's the triple crown, how many of those QS surfers that you just, or even CT surfers have lost all of their funding throughout the rest of the year. So whatever the numbers were for triple crown contestants previously, cut that into a quarter because that's, who's going to show up in Hawaii this year. Coupled with fear of traveling, planes not running as many flights, planes not selling as many seats on flights, Hawaii not even knowing what their or not releasing what their policy will be at that time of the year, because right now they're still locked down. And if you go, you have to spend two weeks in quarantine. So even running the triple crown thing is a far-fetched idea. You know what I mean? So, And it's an entirely different version of what it would have been in any other year. What we need is a leader who says... Here, we have private planes, we have access to remote islands, we're going to take the top five servers and we're going to go there and do a specialty event because everything else is out of our control. Here's what's in our control, then we can predict and forecast, and this is what we're going and how we're going to do it so that you guys have something to watch other than lawn patrol. That's well, I I think that the triple crown idea makes sense because I'm sure that the community on the North Shore, as much as some of them hate the tourist money, or not the money, but the tourists showing up, they need the tourist income. And that transient surfer population is pretty vital to their economic, you know, to them being successful and feasible. So the triple crown idea is not a bad one. That, you know, the, the problem is going to be the QS Hawaiians that are going to be like, what? You know, like, but I think if you're ever going to pull, I mean, it's just a special time, you know. So can you get the top 34 surfers in the world over there for three events from the beginning of November through December 20th? The answer is, yeah, you can, you know. and Yeah. And you don't even worry about the QS because guess what? With the new system, the QS starts in January anyway. Yeah. We're going to have like three, exactly. like we're going to have like six QS 10,000s by the end of April. And we're going to start a whole new season in, in May. Isn't that the more or less the schedule for 2021? That was a schedule pre COVID. Yeah. So I'm all sure bet, that the QS kind of doesn't matter. I mean, it's kind of a, right. All bets are off until July 1st. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then there'll be August 1st and then. By the way, did I tell you the California Gold Surf Auction? The bidding begins July 25th, and the auction closes Saturday, August 8th at 5 p.m., David. I know you're excited. You can bid from anywhere in the world by using your desktop, laptop, iPad, 
tablet or smartphone. Simply download the app for your iPhone or iPad. Search the app store for California Gold Surf Auction. It's happening and we're excited about it. All the lots will be available for preview no later than July 8th. We'll have the auction software updated and ready to go. Good. California awesome. Gold Surf Auction. Epic. Um, I've got a must-see moment that's related to um, an Encinitas protest. Did you go to the Moonlight Beach Moonlight Beach protest? I did not. So there was upwards of a thousand people there. Um, Sal Masakela led it. He gave a moving speech, and everybody silently observed eight minutes and forty six seconds on the sand. And then after that, everybody kind of stoically and quietly arose and paddled out. And that was five hundred to a thousand people that paddled out at Moonlight Beach. And my must-see moment is a three-minute-long video called Racism and Serving with Sal Masakela about that exact event. It's well worth watching. It's heart, I mean, it's heartening. Um, it, in a very concise way, kind of sums up a lot of what you and I were saying at the beginning of the show and what Todd Pradonovich had wrote about. But Sal's speech is particularly... Um, Sincere. Poignant. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I listened to it. It was it was awesome. I mean, it's it's, it's to the point. It's not um, it's not inciting any sort of rage. It's not even arguable. You know, it's just it's matter of fact, and it is. He's like, dude, this has been the gnarliest week of my life in forty eight years, and uh. Never have I felt more uncomfortable in my own skin. Never have I felt more comfortable in my own skin. Never have I felt more empowered. Um, I don't want to step on Sal's words, so I'll just let people watch it. And we'll have it on spitpodcast.com. But another quick detail side note is that it's made by a YouTube account called Cigarette Surfboard. And that sparked kind of a memory for me. I'm like, yeah, didn't somebody make a surfboard out of cigarette butts that were collected off the beach? So I clicked over and looked at some of their other videos. Basically, this is industrial designer Taylor Lane and filmmaker Ben Judkins. They're creating environmental surf film that uses the cigarette surfboard to question the mentality of littering cigarette butts and how this largely represents our single-use plastic culture and its effects on the ocean. The cigarette surfboard allows us to meet with surfboards and other influential people that are making our making an inspiring difference in the world to protect our oceans. This film will provide a toolkit for surfers and non-surfers alike to become uh, more engaged stewards of the sea as surfers of all types um, and ride the Siggy surfboard quiver. So these guys built a surfboard out of cigarette butts and then they're using that to like go talk with Jack Johnson basically about, you know, cleaning up beaches and all that sort of stuff and letting surfers even ride the board. And there's footage of a dude who actually surfed in the CT event at cloud break. Last time we had him, uh, one of the locals there got a wild card in there's footage of him riding this cigarette surfboard in 12 foot cloud break, which is actually super radical. Yeah. Taylor and Ben are going to be at the boardroom show in September. Showing and, uh, this surfboard or showing their they have, belt? They have quite a few boards. They don't cool. just have one. They have the original. They're constantly making new ones. They're really excited about a Bonzer version of the cigarette surfboard that they're making. So their boards will be on display and some of the, you know, imagery and some of the messaging will be there. And um, yeah, so they'll be there to talk if you want to talk to them and meet them. And 
I'm not sure if we're showing a trailer or not. I, um, it's been so long since I've even looked at what's going on with the boardroom and it's kind of fluid right now. It's, you know, everything's changing based on the floor plan and all that. Um, social it, distancing and all that. So it's set for September though, right? Yeah. September 26th and 27th, um, about three and a half, four months from now. And so um, we're gearing up for it. We're just, I'm just like a racehorse, you know, waiting for the, the starting gate to open up and then I'm going to be sprinting, you know, trying to get this thing going. But um, the floor is more or less sold out from the May show and everybody's ready to go. I'm getting emails from exhibitors every day. They're going, we're excited. And I talked to Pat Rawson yesterday. He's excited. Everyone's excited. So I'm, I'm stoked. And i um, just waiting for the state and, you know, the governor and the county to, to um, go into phase four and allow large gatherings to occur, which I think yeah. is going to happen sooner than later. I think it's going to happen pretty quickly. And to be honest, the boardroom show, I think will be a special boardroom show, just given everything that's been going on. Like it'll be celebratory. I agree. That's what Pat Rawson was saying too. He thinks it's going to be bigger than ever because people are just ready to, to get back to into their routine and to, to be stoked again. And, and certainly the boardroom show does that, you know, in Orange County where you're at, I think Disneyland opens or it has opened. And so that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that Disneyland may be opening really soon because Orange County is a little bit, um, they're kind of ahead of the curve as far as getting back to business. I saw that Disney World had plans to open in Florida, but I I didn't catch that uh, news about Disneyland. But I did look at um, stats two days ago, I think it was, or maybe it was on Friday actually, but we've had 4,000 deaths from coronavirus in California out of 40 million people population. So uh, death rate of 0. 0.0001. And um, so things are looking optimistic or positive. Good. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. That's in California at large. Well, okay. So I have a musty moment. Okay. Since we're going that way. And you've posted some video of this and it's pretty fascinating. So I went on Surfer Magazine's website and they have this Asher Pacer video. And it's, I don't even know the name of the video. I tried to find the name. It looked like Surfer Magazine put a name on it. And I wasn't sure if that was actually the name of it. Crystallized voyaging something or another. Like it's yeah, a psychedelic yeah. title. Yeah. But was that the filmmaker's title or was that Surfer yeah. Magazine? Okay. Yeah, it is. Anyway, go on to surfer.com and check out the Asher Pacer, Pacey video. Um, it's obviously, you and I love Asher Pacey surfing. He, he's a guy that I, I think you mentioned would be good for the electric Kool-Aid acid test. Um, but what's really fascinating and what you pointed out is this kneeboarder, Shane Simpson. He's absolutely shredding. Like he's, he's, he's going crazy. He's doing aerials. He's getting barreled. He's doing these huge rail gouges. And it's, and it's pretty fascinating because what it brought up to me is a question I'm going to throw at you. Do you think there's a format, a competitive format where knee, a kneeboarder and a surfer compete against each other? Ooh, no, I don't. Well, do you think that this kneeboarder outsurfed Asher Pacey in this video? Uh, clip? No, he, no. It, I mean, he's shredding. Absolutely. That's why I posted that clip. Like it's radical to watch, but it's an entirely different thing. That's like saying you have, systematic, you have systematic bias towards kneeboarders is what you have. I 100% do. Yes, I do. You're um, prejudiced. Here's the thing. I am not prejudiced against them, but. That guy was ripping over Asher Pacey. Over? Yes. He won no. the heat. No. Just because of that aerial he did, he won the heat. They're not comparable things. What do you mean? They're both surfing. It's surfing. No, they're, 
That's saying bot. So is bodyboarding the same thing as stand up paddling? Surfing, surfing. They're riding waves. They're wave riding. Who are you right now? You're tripping, dude. Uh, no. I, I get the point that you're no, trying to make. I'm enlightened. Is what I am. I'm fucking enlightened right now. No, you're not. Let me tell you why you're not enlightened. Um, I think about this as it relates to Black Lives Matter, and people are like, "I don't even see color." You know, I I don't see color at all. I'm going. Yes, you do see you. I went to school with in elementary school with a bunch of different kids and identifying their cultural background helps you to communicate with them. It helps you to sympathize with their plight. It helps you to understand all these details. You use that information for good, for being compassionate. It's not that you're blind and you don't see color. Clearly, knee borders are different than stand up paddlers than short borders then are different than long borders. If you are blind to that detail, then you're actually synthesizing everything into one little thing. And that shows a lack of critical thinking. There's a competition, a surfing competition. One guy is on his knees. The other guy is standing. They're riding waves. It's a wave riding competition. I'm telling you that that knee border won the heat. Uh, Fair enough. That's fair I've, enough. I've stumped you. Thank You're you. You're a party of one. I I'm going to consider feel, your silence as, <laughs> as both when was I silent? and validation. Just now, that one little moment of silence, both guilt and validation that I'm correct. Wow. We are living on different planets right now. Uh, I love the idea of a multidisciplinary like surf off event, but there's no way to judge apples versus oranges. It makes sense that David, the flat earther, wouldn't see things my way. Hey, have you ever kneeboarded? No. Speaking of silence, um, I mean, I've I've bodyboarded when I was growing up. I've longboarded. I've stand up paddled. I've ridden almost all versions of, you know, surf craft. But I've never kneeboarded. I've gotten up on my knees on my shortboard. Dude, that guy was home. that guy was shredding. Let me tell you this: in the eighties, I surfed at Blacks a lot. Um, it was sort of my go-to place. And there's a ton, there was, there still is, I imagine. I don't go to Blacks as often as I used to. Back then, there was a core group of kneeboarders from the 70s into the 80s. And they absolutely ripped. Um, not the least of which was Billy Lerner. And there's a couple of other guys, Jack Beresford and his brother Chris and um, Dave, a couple of other guys. But those guys at Blacks absolutely tore the living shit out of it. And I mean, upside down, vertical carving, stalling, like absolutely ripping. And I guarantee you, I left the water many times going, that guy won the heat. Those guys were shredding and they're getting around. They got four wheel drive. They got flippers and shit. They're moving all over the place. They're catching so many frigging ways. It's ridiculous. And, and absolutely shredding the place too. So I, I have no problem saying, yeah, I've seen kneeboarders out surf surfers on many occasions. Um, the other detail is if you're surfing like a ledgy barreling spot, you're it's easier to get in on a kneeboard, like because you're not actually getting to your feet. So you can kind of knife in. If a bodyboard is the easiest way to knife in at a place like Chopu, a kneeboarder is next in line before an actual stand-up surfer. So not diminishing the difficulty of the roundhouse turns and the airs and all that sort of stuff that they're doing. But there's also an element of, I don't know, a lesser degree of difficulty than it would be to get to your feet and actually 
find the pig dog stance and angle and navigate through a barrel. Okay. Well, okay. Send uh, your hate I'm, mail. I'm expecting some hate mail to come David's way from all my kneeboarding friends, not the least of which was Shane Simpson, the world champion kneeboarder from Australia. Uh, so even the fact that you brought it up in the way that you brought it up proves that you view it as a novelty. I view your beard and your hairdo as a novelty. That's about it. Nice segue. <laughs> Um, so I've got a Duke and a kook. Okay. Me too. My Duke is the nation of New Zealand. Ah, New Zealand, uh, for two reasons for kicking COVID. And also they did a huge black lives matter protest, which we've seen in a few different countries. And it's like, it's amazing to see they have, they're doing this for American protesters and for American black citizens as an act of solidarity. And I think that that's, we're in a pretty special time where that's happening, you know, uh, across the world, but they also kicked COVID. So New Zealand lifts lockdown as it declares the virus eliminated for now, saying the country has no active coronavirus cases and no new infections. Officials declared that the strict clampdown on public life would end. Since the pandemic began, the country has reported 100, I'm sorry, 1,504 cases and 22 deaths nationally and has been widely praised for its stringent approach to combating the virus. That's out of a population of 5 million. Uh, they said retail is back without limitation. Hospitality is back without limitation. Public transport and travel across the country is fully open. So congrats to New Zealand on doing such a good job. One of our longest time and loyalist listeners, Rainbow, is from New Zealand, and he sent us some great information at the beginning of COVID because his partner is actually a doctor, and she was in charge of a lot of this decision-making, and uh, he has not been able to spend time with her for months. So they were on such a strict lockdown, and because she was on the front line of it, um, he's not been able to see his partner for a really long time. So congrats on those two lovebirds getting back together. I know you and I met them both when they were back, when they were out in California, uh, probably eight or nine months ago. So Duke, New Zealand, good job. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. The New York times had an article a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago about the way that Australia and New Zealand were handling this pandemic. And what's amazing is that they saw Obviously, a, a massive issue coming their way, this coronavirus problem. You've got Australia, who's run basically by sort of a, a populist sort of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, right-wing conservative. And you've got New Zealand, which is run by the opposite, the polar of the um, side of the political spectrum. So you've got a left-wing woman in New Zealand and a right-wing man in Australia as leaders of their country. And they dropped all the political bullshit and came together and went, look, we're going to let science dictate what happens here. We're basically, you know, joined at the hip, New Zealand and Australia, we're sister nations. And they did a great job of dropping all the BS and handling it from a scientific standpoint. And look what you have now is um, they really did a hell of a job. Good. I think that's been a really interesting thing to see happen through COVID and uh, Black Lives Matter is I was so cynical a year ago. I I saw only saw divisions happening and only saw 
the idea that the world is kind of coming together and peaceably for almost in the vast, vast majority of cases, this level of solidarity and solidarity and unity, I was so cynical about previously. I never thought that I would see this day, much less in such a short period of time. So the divisiveness and divisions that uh, I was just accustomed to seeing, I thought was the new way of life. You know what I mean? I just saw people getting outraged by everything and people picking fights on social media all the time and everybody pointing the finger, everybody getting triggered all the time, everybody being outraged all the time and just no unity. And so I've been really, really moved to see people coming together. And uh, I think it's a great step forward. All right. Well, good. I agree with you. And um, my Duke is somebody you've already mentioned. Sal, Sal Masakela, I have as my Duke here. And um, David and I would urge you, the listener, to go check out Sal's speech before the paddle out there in Encinitas. And some of you might not know, but Sal's from Carlsbad. He went to Carlsbad High School right here in San Diego, North County. And um, the thing about Sal is he really, he commands a room. And he does it in such a sincere and uh, there's so much honesty like that comes out of that guy. Like it's just, He's, you know, it's just, he's just a great guy and, and it's a great speech. So go check that out. Cool. Um, I've done a couple of podcasts with Sal and the last one that I did was a few months ago and he was talking about his relationship with his dad, his dad, Hugh Masekela, famous, um, jazz trumpeter, right? Trumpet. Yeah. Trumpet. Um, what's that song? So we grazing, used grazing in the grass. Yeah. That was the song that Baldy and I had on our uh, when we did Down the Line Surf Talk here on Terrestrial Radio in San Diego, Grazing in the Grass was our song, our lead-in song. And so what well, one great, or one of my favorite parts about that conversation with Sal was um, him coming to terms with his relationship with his father who had passed away last year and reconciling some you know, disgruntled feelings that he had from his youth, but not being able to reconcile others prior to his dad dying. And just a lot of the father and son dynamic is a really, really interesting dynamic that I think a lot of people, men just in general, kind of hold emotions in, you know, and aren't willing to talk about things. And then you got an alpha male, somebody with a lot of success like Hugh, who, you know, probably felt uh, no need to accommodate necessarily other people's point of view because he's a world leader and he's a king, you know? And so then Sal trying to kind of find room in Hugh's world for that and bumping up against him. Like it was all really, there was a lot that wasn't said, but of what was said, there's just a lot of honesty and earnestness. And um, I, I just really enjoyed the conversation. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. Um, I have a kook. Okay. This isn't an outright kook, but I do want to kind of have the disc. It's, it allows us to have a larger discussion. Um, 11 year old ladybird. I used ladybird in reference to stab highs thing that they did at the Waco pool. Stab magazine did an event called stab high and they had an, a, a division. It's an aerial contest in a wave pool. They had a division for young girls that they called ladybirds. So one of the competitors, her name is Sky Brown. She's an 11-year-old, amazing skateboarder, really good surfer, and um, has developed quite the following on YouTube. She has 134,000 subscribers on YouTube. 
she posted this video this week of her um, cross training skateboarding on a half uh, vert ramp, big half pipe, huge uh, vert ramp. And the footage is of, of her falling from 20 feet. She tries to transfer from one ramp to the other and she falls from 20 feet in the air. This is an 11 year old girl falling and hitting the ground. And the camera in the pan actually misses her connecting with the ground because it's kind of jostling. But the way that they cut this video, it's titled something, oh man, I might've actually closed it out. Let me see. I'll pull up the title. Um, the title of this is My Worst Fall Yet, Sky Brown. And it's a one minute video and it shows this really harrowing footage and then really dramatized edits with the paramedics showing up and a helicopter landing and then cuts to her in the hospital with her head down in a hospital bed hooked up to all these machines and then looking up at the camera and she's got this really gnarly black eye and she goes, hey, I just want everybody to know that I feel okay and that I'm gonna make a recovery and all of this. This video is a few days old and it has 1.1 million views. The comments are mainly praising her resilience. The reason why I bring it up is I was left, I don't know, confused that you would use this near tragic accident for, cl for clicks and for uh, views basically. Like this is a footage of a 11 year old girl falling from the sky and the way that it's edited is highly dramatized, cutting to her like looking up to connect with her fans. And I was just left wondering like, what moment are we in where this near tragedy is leveraged to elevate the profile? You know what I mean? And so Sky is not my kook. I want to make crystal clear this 11-year-old girl is not my kook in this scenario. It's kind of the moment that we're living in where this is fodder for us. And this is, uh, again, used to elevate a brand. I'm really confused by it. So what I did kind of understand is that, again, most of the comments are positive and they're praising her resilience. They're going, wow. This 11-year-old girl can get back up and she said she will skateboard again. I can't even get off the sofa when I, you know, or whatever. They're kind of, they're praising her resilience. So I think that that is good. And it's great that she's activated this community that looks to her and all that sort of stuff. But even still, I felt gross. The way that it was edited felt, you know, sensationalizing this thing, which is, dude, I do not want to watch an 11-year-old girl fall 20 feet and hit the pavement. And I don't even, I actually kind of weirded out even discussing it on this show, except it highlights we're at a weird place in our time where this is currency, right? Yeah, that's that does bring up a lot of stuff. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, because we're talking about it, now more people are going to go click on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I agree. And it does have like a bit of a Kardashian kind of let's exploit the shit out of this moment. You know, it's basically a car accident on the freeway and they decided to put their brand in front of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so one, I'm disappointed in you for clicking on it and bringing it up Two, if they're going to do this, if she dies, I hope there's a video. You know what I mean? Like if we're going to see the car, well, where, watch where, the car where, if this isn't the boundary line, where is the boundary line? That's my point. Right. Like that's, I was being facetious, but yeah, it's like, where do they stop? 
You I know, know. If this is okay. Then right. I'm ex yeah. I'm expecting to see the funeral. You know, like, and of course, you know, it's unfortunate. I haven't seen it. I'm not going to watch it. But it sounds like they overproduced it. They overdramatized it, and they took this sort of like, you know, money shot moment. Look to keep your head down and then look up at the camera, and that was obviously produced. I know. And so that's it's the part more that's dirty. That's the part that's insincere. That's the part that. How do we even know the wreck happened? I'm I'm saying I'm claiming the wreck didn't happen, and that's actually just makeup on her eye, and it's all bullshit. No, the wreck definitely happened. I know, I just, but my point is, I I think it. You could it, certainly go conspiracy theory on it if, because they overproduced it. I I don't think this is a good move, and we see like look the internet knows no bounds. Like the internet wants blood. The internet is out for blood. And so things will always devolve to the most horrific place. And I feel like, again, your child, putting your child kind of out there in this way, it's more like you said, the production of it that is the problem than just the fall itself, you know, um, that I just felt like was really dirty and like, man, come on. I don't want I'm, this doesn't bode well for society. If this is where we're going. Um, so she falls. Think about it like this. She falls. She eats shit. It's horrible, right? Somebody's going, keep the camera rolling. Of course. Somebody makes that decision. That's, of course. that's the kook. The kook's the guy that's like, hey, make sure you get this angle. We're calling the, you know, we're going code three. EMT is here. You know. Yeah. That's kind of like. I agree. Kook. I agree. I think there's a version of this where you don't show the footage and you do post something from the child communicating with their public and going, yeah. Hey, I had this accident. I'm going to be okay. Here's my status and I'm going to be okay. I think that's totally fine. And that's adequate. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. But you don't, you don't need to show the footage. You don't need to dramatize it with all of the security or the response vehicles showing up. And then you don't need the, again, the kind of looking down to looking up to confronting the reality of the situation. All of that just felt so, again, reality show produced uh, when the subject is an 11 year old child who had literally the worst fall of her life and a near tragedy, you know? So the, the state that we're in in society is my kook because the fact that this has even got the most views out of any of her videos is problematic for me. Your hairdo is sort of a metaphor for the state that we're in as a society. Glamorous. It's just all over the fucking place, man. <laughs> um, I'm not ashamed of it, but I'm also not proud of this illegal haircut that I got three weeks ago. I had somebody come to my house as if yours is any better, dude. <laughs> at least, well, I don't need to. Are you going to say that. at least mine's not gray? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> mine's full and brown and not gray. I've actually oh, noticed yeah. a bunch of gray in it recently, which is, uh, I don't know, troubling. Just for men. All right. That's, that's what we're going to get you some just for men for that beard. All right. Okay. Well, I don't have a kook, um, but yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So what's, what are we going to end with? Are we we're ready to end, end the show? We're going to end with reminding everybody uh, to attend the boardroom show in September, California gold surf auction. Go 
benefit from Need Essentials wetsuit discount. Last, it's on their website. It says last chance. Somebody's, uh, I posted this on Instagram last night and somebody's replied to it. Like, hey, dude, you don't need to like add, add, put your advertisements on Instagram. And I'm like, dude, Need Essentials did not ask me to do this. This is for, I mean, they sponsor the podcast. They don't mandate frequency or how often we talk. They don't tell me what to put on Instagram. I'm doing this for you. This is you benefiting from it for a high quality, low priced wetsuit. So go get it. I love it. And speaking of listeners benefiting, I'll say this real quick. My friend Pam Schwartz and her husband, they do a great job at Ranch 45 here in Del Mar. Ranch 45, you can go there and get all your provisions for food. David, you would love this place. This place is like, have you ever been there? No, but I know exactly. I've watched, I've seen the stuff. Yeah, yeah, this is like right in your wheelhouse. So it's super killer food, provisions to make dinner. You can go there and have breakfast or lunch. I go there often. Are yeah, they they're open. Public? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're doing, and they were doing curbside. They were open through this whole thing. I mean, they were grinding. Good. And um, anyway, they're, they're big fans of the show and they're big fans of the surf and uh, yeah. Ranch 45. Check them out on Instagram. Sweet. Okay. Until next week, David, adios and aloha. Oh, the time will come up when the winds will stop And the breeze will cease to be breathing Like the stillness in the wind before the hurricane begins The hour that the ship comes in And the sea will split and the ships will hit And the sands on the shoreline will be shaken And the tide will pound and the waves will sound And the morning will be a breaking The fishes will laugh as they swim out of the path And the seagulls they'll be a-smiling And the rocks on the sand will proudly stand The owl that the ship comes in And the words that are used for to get the ship confused Will not be understood as they're spoken For the chains of the sea will have busted in the night And be buried on the bottom of the ocean A song will lift as the main sail ships and the boat drifts onto the shoreline And the sun will respect every face on the deck The hour that the ship comes in And the sand will roll out a carpet of gold For your weary toes to be a-touching And the ship's wise men will remind you once again That the whole world is watching
all the foes will rise with the sleep still in their eyes and they'll jerk from their beds and think they're dreaming but they'll pinch themselves and squeal and they'll know that it's for real the owl at the ship comes in and they'll raise their hands saying we'll meet all your demands but we'll shout from the bow your days are numbered and like pharaohs drive they'll be drowned in the tide and like Goliath they'll become